Book of Daniel chapter 4. The title of this message tonight, if you're taking notes, is Humble or Be Humbled. Humble or Be Humbled. We're in Daniel chapter 4. We're in a study of the entire book we're calling King of Kings. Learning how God himself is sovereign over all kingdoms of the earth. Now, we're going to get a little bit deeper in this. We, we touched on it in chapter 2, but towards the end of the book of Daniel, it gets pretty crazy with the prophecies about the future and also what has happened in history. But, as you guys know, there's been four world empires. You have Babylon, the Medes and the Persians, you have Greece, and then you have Rome. Kingdoms that were ruling over the entire known world. Okay, something that was really interesting, a pastor friend of mine was telling me this morning, is that every major world kingdom in some way prepared the way for the gospel. Think about it. Babylon and the Medes and the Persians, those two kingdoms, were disciplining God's people and purifying them so that they would be prepared to bring forth the Messiah. Now, Greece, if Alexander the Great didn't conquer the known world, uh, we wouldn't have the New Testament in, in Greek. And Greek wouldn't be able to, to be the language through which many people, people groups are reached. So because Alexander the Great was going around conquering all these different kingdoms, everyone was speaking Greek so that when the New Testament was given out, people were able to receive it. And then Rome, you, you know the phrase, all roads lead to Rome. They were innovators in pathways and trade routes, which were perfect for spreading the gospel. So it's interesting to note that even in the midst of greedy, wicked kingdoms, God was at work. And it's the same thing today. You, you're looking at the nations. You're like, what in the world is happening with North Korea? What in the world is happening with the, the United States? Well, no matter what's happening, because we can't really tell right now, we can say one thing's for certain. God is still on the throne. He's in control. And he's working all things together for good. So, that being Kate, the case, Daniel chapter 4, we're going to pick up where we left off. In verse 1, we have Nebuchadnezzar starting off with almost like a psalm of his own. Nebuchadnezzar, a pa pagan, Gentile, meaning non-Jew, king, says this. Nebuchadnezzar, the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me, that being the God that we worship. How great are his signs, and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion is from generation to generation. We ended last week discussing how we often are like Nebuchadnezzar. We're looking at a guy who wants everybody to worship his image. He makes a golden statue. And we poke fun at that and say that's kind of like egotistical. And then we think about it and we're like, wait, we do the same thing. Every time you post things on Instagram, every time you put things on Snapchat, not every time, but you know what I'm saying, we have this propensity to want people to look at us and value us, to esteem us, to like things, to send us a direct message. We want people to look at us and tell us that we're valuable. And so we look at Nebuchadnezzar, instead of making fun of him, we should pity him, realizing that we often are poking fun at ourselves. Because the person that's proud might be the person that's sitting in this room. It might be you. It might be me. We all have a propensity to pride. That in, in essence, is exactly what sin is. It is telling God, you don't know what you're doing. I want to be the king of my own kingdom. I'm going to do things my own way. And that's why we lie. Because it's advantageous to us. If we're honest, the reason why we sin isn't so we, like, do things because 
I like that person, so I'm going to lie so they feel better. It's because we're afraid of them knowing the truth and being mad with us. We sin so that people are still in our corner. People still love us. People still treat us the right way. We're doing things selfishly. That's what sin is. It's rejecting God's goodness in his way and misusing his things he's given us. That's what Nebuchadnezzar did. And here, he recounts, this king recounts the time that he was humbled by God because he refused to repent. That being said, let's pray, and we'll look exactly how that happened. Lord, we pray that we would come with open hearts tonight to hear your word. And that's hard. It's very hard to do for this one reason, because usually, if we are struggling with pride— we don't think that we uh, need to hear these messages because we're proud. That's what pride does. But we pray, Lord, that you would convict us, you would cut to our hearts, you'd show us our wicked way so we could be led into the way everlasting tonight and be used of you in a powerful way. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Have you ever known somebody that was out of touch with reality? Somebody in your life that needed a reality check. There was a Greek scientist and philosopher named Empedocles. Now, this Greek philosopher uh, discovered 450 years before Jesus that light travels at a speed. The earth is a sphere. He made these major discoveries, okay? Super smart guy, but he also believed that he was a god. Now, if you met somebody today that believed that they were Jesus or believed that they were the Messiah or believed that they were God, you would probably say that person is out of touch with reality, just a little bit, just a little crazy, right? No exaggeration. This person's out of his mind, even if he's a brilliant guy. Now, this guy in Pedigles believed that he was a god, and to prove himself to all the skeptics, all the haters, he said, I'll prove that I'm a god. There's a volcano up there, Mount Etna. I'm going to jump in, and I'll prove by jumping out of the mountain, out of the volcano, I'll prove that I'm a god. So his skeptics followed him up to this top of this volcano, and Pedigles I can imagine he's just like, just watch this. He jumps in and he dies. That's the end of his life. So Empedocles dies. Very tragic end, right? Here's a guy who is out of touch with reality. Let me ask you a question. What if your opinion of yourself was out of touch with reality? What if you're one of those people, you all, you all see it on like uh, America's Got Talent, American Idol, whatever they call it these days, that one singer that really thinks they're the bomb. I don't know if you say that anymore, but I just said it. They think that they're, they're the cheese. What do you say? Help me out. What do you say when something's like lit? They think they're lit. They think they're awesome. Now, those singers, they're like, stop, stop. Those singers, they go up before... The, the judges, they start singing, and everyone shuts their ears. Thank you very much. They're like, no, you don't understand. I'm going to be the next big star. I'm going to be awesome. That person's out of touch with reality. What if your opinion of yourself is kind of like those people? How would you know? Well, I think what you would need is someone who loves you enough and sees the truth to tell you. That's why I love junior high ministry. Because when my teaching was terrible— they had the guts to come up to me. Not the guts. They just didn't have any filter. They would come up to you and be like, dude, like, you really need to work on that. 
That was terrible. If you smell bad, you're not wearing deodorant, you're like, I'm not too bad. Like, they come in, you smell really bad. Your breath stinks. And you're, like, exhorting them, like, God has a plan for your life. He loves you. He's like, I'm, I'm sorry, but, like, your breath is so distracting. Can you, like, get a mint or something? Like, you guys will be polite, right? You're not going to ever say that to me because you guys are loving and you have a filter. Now, when you have people like that, because we all know those people, the close talkers, right, up in your face, and you don't know what to do, and if you ever have a close talker, I may have said this before, but it's worth saying because this is life advice, people. This is free. So if you have a close talker that's in your face, just shift your weight to the back like this. Huh, that's so interesting. And then you shift again. Huh, really? Yeah, really. And you just keep on shifting. I did this once when I was at a conference in Wisconsin, and literally I walked from one end of the sanctuary to the other because he was following me. He would take a step in every time I'd take a step back. It's just madness. Now, if I was braver, I would have just said, okay, I need space. Has anyone ever told you that you have a problem with talking really close to people? What do you do if a person is out of touch with reality? No one's actually told them the truth. Or even worse, someone has told them the truth and they don't believe it. That, my friends, is what pride does. It blinds us to being able to see the faults in ourselves. If we want to be humble people, what we need is other people to tell us the truth and to look at the Word of God to get a right view of our own life. Here's why this is so important. This is why this teaching is so important. Because the Bible says that God doesn't look upon the proud. He looks upon the who? The humble. Isaiah chapter 57 verse 15. Thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who is, has a contrite and humble spirit. Contrite meaning crushed, ground up, and humble meaning lowly spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of the contrite ones. This is what God says. If you want revival, you need to be humble. If we're praying for people to, uh, to be able to experience God, if we're praying for the spirit of God to move in our lives... We need to have a humble, contrite, lowly spirit. James chapter 4, verse 6. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Bringing it back to the story now. Nebuchadnezzar has another dream. And now he asks all of his friends, the Magi, all of his Chaldeans, the sorcerers, hey, I have another dream, just like in chapter 2. I said, I'm going to tell you what the dream is. And everybody's like, I don't really know. You just have wacky dreams. I'm sorry. And so he's like, at last, I will ask Daniel, Belshazzar. That's how he calls, that's the name that he gives him. And so Daniel comes up to him and he tells him the dream. Nebuchadnezzar says, here's my dream. I saw this giant tree. And from that giant tree that would stand over the entire world, there were animals and beasts that could nestle under it. And there was people that could eat of its fruit. And then there was a, a watcher from heaven that shouted, saying, let that tree be cut down and bind it up with iron and bronze until he realizes that the Most High rules in the kingdoms of men. All right, Daniel, what in the world does that mean? You see, Nebuchadnezzar was being prophesied to. God wanted to speak to him, giving him a warning that unless he learned to repent, to humble himself, God would chop him down. And Daniel was that faithful friend that was going to tell him, which is kind of interesting if you think about it. Daniel was close with this ruler who is a wicked pagan ruler. Let's read verse 18 
of Daniel chapter 4 to see what happens after he tells the vision. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. Don't you just wish, time out, don't you just wish that you had such a filling of the Holy Spirit inside of you that people came up to you because they knew that you had something different. When people are hurting, when people have difficulties, they come to you because they know that you have hope that they don't have. We are the fragrance of Christ diffused in every place. That's what the Bible says. Okay, verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation concern your enemies. So he's like, he's being really respectful. Verse 20. The tree which you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and which could be seen by all the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, and which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and whose branches the birds of heaven had their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong, for your greatness has grown, and reaches to the heavens, and your dominion to the end of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stumps and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, and the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven, and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my lord the king. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make you eat grass like oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven, and seven times shall pass over you, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. This is what Daniel says. Humble yourself. King, listen. It's almost a paraphrase of James chapter 4, verse 8 through 10. In verse 10, it says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Because God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Here's your first point for tonight, if you're taking notes. Be quick to listen to correction. Be quick to listen to correction. Once again, James talks all about this, right? Let every man be quick to hear. Be ready Ready to hear when somebody brings something to you that you may disagree with because it's about you. Notice in verse 27 how gentle and respectful Daniel is as he attempts to appeal to Nebuchadnezzar to repent. He says, let my advice be acceptable to you. Which is, should be a pattern for us, right? When we're correcting people, they have an ego problem. We should never approach it by going up to, I'm going to put them in their place. We should take the model of Daniel, be respectful. Now, how quick are we to listen to rebuke from others? Versus how defensive are we when people have a problem with us? Because the longer you refuse to be wrong, the longer you will walk in ignorance. If you are not willing to be corrected ever, you're going to have a lot of problems. If you were of the mindset that, you know, drugs aren't a big deal, it's not a problem, smoking's not bad for you, it could be dangerous to your health. 
If you refuse to listen to your friend's advice when your friends say, hey, listen, you know, I just don't think that girl's right for you. I just really feel like she's not walking with the Lord. And you could wind up being very hurt because you refuse to listen to advice of your friends, people that are loving and want to correct you. As we prayed today, one challenge of pride is that those who have it often don't realize it. If you have it, you don't think you have it because you're proud. But if you want to grow in your Christian walk, you need to be willing to learn from everybody who's around you. That could be a vessel that God wants to use. If you want to get good at sports, how good would you be if you practice by yourself and you refuse to listen to any, any coach, any advice? Probably going to stink. Now, if you want to get good at sports, you probably want to hang around people and just learn, what am I doing wrong? Where are my blind spots? That might be even a great question to ask a friend, but we often don't ask it because we're too afraid of what they're going to say. Hey, listen, what do you think is my weakness? What do you think is one area of my life that I need to work on? Be prepared. Take notes. You can say anything you want. Really, you're my friend. I, I know you care about me. Tell me, what are my blind spots? That's a great question. You may want to ask it. Be prepared to take notes and be prepared not to be defensive because that's initially what happens, right? What is my blind spot? Well, you're really rude. No, I'm not. If you're doing that, you're not being teachable and then there's no use talking about it, right? If you're asking a coach, what are some areas that I'm weak in? He's going to tell you, right? And that's how you can improve. If you want to get good at a sport, if I want to get good at rock climbing, I need to train my weaknesses. There are some people that are really good at dribbling and really bad at shooting. You can be the best dribbler on the planet, but if you can't shoot the ball, you're not going to be a good player. It's the same thing with your Christian walk. It's great if you can pride yourself in, I'm a really good Bible reader. If you don't have love for people, what good is it? So the Bible says, right? What good is it if you can speak with the tongues of angels but have not love? This is why we need to come to church, not just to hear about the messages that speak to us and, oh, I know what I'm called to do. I have a purpose in my life. Sometimes, honestly, you need to hear the messages that are all about how you're doing everything wrong. All throughout uh, my teenage years, if you ask me how, do I knew, how I knew God's voice and do I have distinct times in my life where I knew that God spoke to me, I would tell you, yeah, all the times I was in trouble. Those are the times I knew that God was real and he was speaking to me. It was never like, hey, Alan, you're doing a great job. It was always just like, why are you doing that? You're a knucklehead. I'm like, I know. I'm sorry. Right? So being willing to learn because God wants to grow you. The Bible says the Lord chastens whom he loves. If you're under the discipline of God, it's a good thing. It's because he loves you. He wants you to grow. And those that refuse to be corrected also are refusing to grow. So I'm going to give you three tips on how to be a good listener when it comes to correction. Three tips, okay? Controversial, but I hope you'll agree with this. Number one, don't dismiss instruction because of the instructor. Don't dismiss instruction because of the instructor. How many times do people approach us and say, hey, listen, you really need to work on this. And we look at them and say, well, maybe you have to work on that. And we automatically dismiss them because of who that person is. But, especially if they're a Christian and they have the Holy Spirit inside of them, can't God use sinful people to teach us something? If he couldn't, guess what? The answer is that God could never speak to us through other people, ever. Because we're all sinful. So, when you have people come up to you, maybe it's a parent telling you, hey, listen, you got to listen to these things. You're like, you do the same things. I probably got it from you. Right? 
don't dismiss the instruction because of the instructor because God could still be speaking behind the vessel that you don't agree with. Very important. we got to be open to listening to people that we may not agree with. Instead, somebody says, hey, listen, I think you need to work on this. Receive the correction and bring it to God in prayer. Don't be defensive. Don't make excuses. Just take it and say, great, I'm going to bring it before the Lord and allow the Lord to search your heart. Number two, don't dismiss rebuke because of the reasoning. Don't dismiss rebuke because of the reasoning. Same thing here. Sometimes somebody has a rebuke. They tell you, hey, listen, just like, I really think you need to work on this area because if you don't, you're going to die. I'm not going to die. If, yeah, you're going to die. Really, I, I really think that if you don't start being nice to people, God's going to punish you with a lightning bolt. Like, pretty sure that's not going to happen. And then you're thinking of verses in your, in your mind, right, that you've memorized. Pretty sure God's more gracious than that. But just because people have bad logic doesn't mean that God may not be speaking through them. For the longest time, I'll give you a for instance, because I, I told you um, there was a time when I was especially, like, in a band that I felt like God was speaking to me, but he had to, like, grab my attention. I heard a pastor say this, like, two weeks ago. I thought it was great. If you're reading the, you're in the Word of God, you're reading his Word all the time, and God speaks to you, it's, like, often very encouraging. But, like, if you're not in the Word of God and God speaks to you, it's probably because you're in trouble. Just kind of funny. I'm like, yeah, I think that's true. So um, I remember when I was in a band, I used to think about how everybody evangelizes the wrong way. Everybody who's in a band goes before the audience and just says, hey, we did this in the name of Jesus. God bless you. I'm like, that's not effective. Like, no one's going to get saved from that. You're just going to get people that are totally in line with you already. You're like, yeah, Jesus. But there's not going to be a person in the audience who's just going to be like, wow, the person, that person loves Jesus. I'm going to love Jesus too. I just didn't think it was going to be effective. So my method to evangelize when I was 20, 21, is I'm going to make friends with people, and gradually over time, I'm going to witness with them. I'll let my life be an example so that eventually I'll be able to share with them and more people will be saved. That was more effective, I felt. Until one day I was at a, I was at, um, a show, and I watched one of my friend's bands playing, and they did the whole, we did this for Jesus, God bless you. And I was just like, that's so lame. Two days later, I'm sitting in youth group, helping out for junior high, Andy Dean's teaching, and it's just like God zapped me. And he just, I had this thought, I don't remember what Andy was saying, but it's something along the lines of, like God was speaking to me in that moment. It's like, oh, so you're going you're gonna to tell people about me eventually through relationship, right? When's the last time you told anybody about me? And it's like, oh, oh, I can't actually recall, actually. Huh, well, that's funny, but I'm working on it. Oh, I don't know. And so I had a list of like 10 people in my life that I was convinced did not know I was a Christian. And those names just popped up in my head. This is like super fast. It's not like God spoke to me audibly or anything, but I remember very clearly, it's like you're making fun of people that are just saying, hey, we did this in the name of Jesus, but at least people know that they're a Christian. There's 10 people in your life that don't even know that you're saved. I was like, ah, oh, crap. So, sorry if you can't say crap, just so you know. I did that by accident. Um, so this is what I did. That night, so convicted. So just like, oh, I'm a terrible person. Here's what I did. Some of those people, I hadn't talked to in like two years. I just saw them briefly. I don't remember. It's through acting or like whatever. I met them casually. Brief relationship. We didn't have Instagram back then, so it's not like people could look up your profile or anything. It's like, oh, man, what am I going to do? 
So then I thought, I'm going to construct this long text message that's basically the gospel. It's just like, hey, I know I haven't talked to you in like a year, but like, here's what I believe. And I like, I felt convicted to do that. So I sent that to like 10 people. Or it actually might have been closer to 20 people. I think I got more convicted as the night went on. This was years ago, but I remember distinctly, I'm running out the text message, and it was like the most like embarrassing moment ever in my life up to that point. Composing the text message, and I send it out like, oh, that's the worst thing ever. Like, oh, what are they going to think about me? Whatever. And most people didn't like respond or anything, but I got two text messages that like, wow, that was very encouraging. Thank you. They're not a believer. I don't know what happened with them. And listen, that still is probably the worst way to witness to somebody. It's just like not talk to them at all about Jesus and then one day just send a text message. But here's how I was convicted. I felt like at least when I go to bed at night and I pray for unsaved people, I'm not just thinking, Lord, I just pray you reach so-and-so. I just pray in your mercy, your grace, you reach that person. I can at least pray this. All right, Lord, I did everything you asked me to do. There's literally nothing else I could do. Now I pray that you reach that person. That was my conviction. That was when God had to convict me. And maybe it might be true for you. What is a word that you are not quick to listen to because you're looking at the logic, the reasoning, rather than the rebuke? Number three, have a soft heart. So three tips on listening to correction. Number one, don't dismiss instruction because of the instructor. Number two, don't dismiss rebuke because of the reasoning. Number three, have a soft heart. Uh, right before I worked at the church, one of the reasons, oh, I, should, I, I shouldn't say this. I'll say it anyway. Okay. One of the reasons why I didn't want to work at the church is because I was afraid that my relationship with God would be like my job. Like, I'm, I'm supposed to read the Bible. You know, like, if I'm not reading the Bible and I'm a pastor, I'm, I'm a failure, you know. But I, I love this, this, like, moment of my life that I wasn't a pastor I wasn't working at a church. I was just in love with God. And for like a period of like four months, I, wa I wanted to like read the Bible, memorize things. I was like looking for, for ways to remember every chapter of the book of James and like one little verse. And I was like coming up with different artistic things and ideas and stuff. And I just wanted to know more of Jesus. And during that period of my life, I would go to bed at night and right before I would just pray on my knees and I would pray this prayer, Oh Lord, Search me and know me. Try me. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me into the way everlasting. Just had that open heart of like, Lord, just show me what's wrong. And guess what happens? God shows you what's wrong. <laughs> like if you pray that, it's like, Lord, if there's anything I've done today that's been sinful or displeasing, show me right now. I guess there's nothing. All right, I'm going to bed. It's like God is faithful to show you. But here's the good news. Anytime you're convicted of sin, it's not condemnation. It's so that you could be more like Jesus. He's not displeased with you. He's not like, oh, yeah, I can't believe you did it again. You're a jerk to that person again. You're a failure. It's because God loves you. He says, hey, listen, here's how you can change. I'm going to give you the power to change so you don't have to live hurting people anymore. Wouldn't we all want to be like that? Where we don't have any known sin in our life because we constantly are bringing it before God. Psalm 19 verse 12 says, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me, Lord, from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from pre presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. 
O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So obviously, I'm not the hero of the story. Like, I'm a failure at this. This is why I had to do this. But hopefully, we can all come to the Lord. And this is why I have to remind myself all the time. Have that soft heart. Because we have the propensity to guard ourselves from rebuke. But say, Lord, what do you have to speak to me? And maybe you want to use somebody else to bring that message. Uh, I, I quoted this earlier in the week, but it's worth saying again. Charles Spurgeon, great quote. He says this. Because we're often defensive, right? When people say terrible things about us. He says, If any man thinks ill of you, do not be angry with him, for you are worse than he thinks you to be. Isn't that true? We have more sin in our lives that we don't even know that we've committed, yet God's forgiven us of those sins. So if somebody's making fun of you or says, oh, you're a terrible person, you're probably a lot worse. And yet God still loves you. Okay, so number one was be quick to listen to correction. Number two, be quick to act in obedience. Be quick to act in obedience. Check this out. So after Daniel warns Nebuchadnezzar, hey, listen, you have to break off your sins by re being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. I'm sure that he could have been defensive, right? Like, show mercy to the poor. I do that all the time. Who do you think you are, Daniel? You're just one of my servants. Just chill out, dude. Instead, Daniel just, well, you'll see what happens. Verse 28. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. The king spoke, saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven. King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The, king has departed from, the kingdom has departed from you. They shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, ate grass like oxen. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. So Nebuchadnezzar actually becomes like beast-like for seven full years. He's eating grass, talons. It was just a terrible sight. And just imagine like the kingdom of the chapels. What do we, what do, we do for seven years? Like, all of his rulers, all of his friends are just like, oh, the king's busy. He's, like, not feeling well for the next seven years because he's, like, running around like a cow. I don't really know what to do now. And this was all of God's humbling process because Nebuchadnezzar took pride in his accomplishments as if it was his own. Now, I want to note something. It says in verse 28, how long was it? until God punished him. It says, at the end of 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Don't think because God has not punished you, it's because God has forgotten about the message he conveyed to you. God is merciful. He wants you to repent. He wants you to humble yourself, but we often take it for granted. One year of delaying obedience led to seven years of learning the hard way. This is exactly what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. Because he delayed in obeying, he became like the thing that he worshipped, which is he became like a beast of the field. James, Montgom um, James Montgomery Boyce is a commentator. He has this quote I think it's worth saying. He says, if you will not look up at the Lord, you will inevitably look down and you will become like the one to whom you are looking. 
If you look to God, you'll become like God. If you will not look to God and worship God, you'll not become like God. You will become like beasts. It's tragic, right? Because it's actually worse than being beastly because you're supposed to be a man. For Nebuchadnezzar to be like a beast, it was, it was completely a distortion of what he was made to do. If a dog acts like a dog, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just the way the dog is. But if humans aren't living out the, the, the actual role that God has for them, it's a tragedy. And many people do that because they are man-pleasers. They're worshiping other people. They dress like them. They want to be just like them. You become like the person that you worship. If you hang around people, you're looking at celebrities, and you want to dress like them, you want to look like them, you'll become like the person that you value, that you worship. And if you want to be like God, all you have to do is look up and value and worship God. It's important that we are quick to act in obedience. When God speaks to your heart, you do not delay. It's important that if you've ever been convicted when you hear a message, that you're not just like, oh, well, when I get older, I'll start worshiping God. Listen, you're not guaranteed tomorrow, number one. Number two, all the people that you hurt in the process, it's not worth it. The longer that you walk in your sin, the, the more of a chance you have to hurt other people in your life because they're embracing the sin, and the more miserable you're going to be because you're going to be full of sin. Why wait if you can be filled with joy? Because the life that Jesus promises is life and that more abundant. Do I look miserable? I'm not. Do any of our youth leaders look miserable? No. Why? Because we have the joy of the Lord. Are we cheesy? Are we weird? No. I mean, like, I'm weird. They're cool. Look at them. Don't look at me. But the fact of the matter is, like, my life is fine. Their life is fine. But many people in this world, they're walking in darkness. They don't even know where they're going. That's what the Bible says. They have no idea what they're going to do with their lives. They have no idea what the future looks like because it's all up to them. And that's what the world says. Like, I'm my own man. I built myself. Like, no, everything you have is a gift. And instead, we should look at these things and say the gift of God leads us to repentance. The kindness and goodness of God leads us to repentance. So how can I be faithful with what I have been given? Be quick to act in obedience. Don't delay. Number three, we'll be closing out soon. Don't worry. Number three, God humbles those who are proud. God humbles those who are proud. This is what happens. Verse 34 to the end of the chapter. Three verses. At the end of at the end of the time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my understanding returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, a reason returned to me. And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me, and I was restored to my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added to me. Wow. So I, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and honor the kingdom of heaven, all of whose works are truth, and his ways justice, and, key verse here, those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. All right, I'm going to tell you some news. Maybe you didn't know this. It's worth telling you. It is not your job to humble other people. It is not your job to humble other people. You may feel like it, but it's not. That's God's job. God is able to put them down. Our job is to be like Daniel, be respectful when rebuking people, correcting people, but then also obey what God has instructed us to do. 
This is what Jesus said. If you worry about your friend's speck in his eye, first remove the plank out of your own eye. Doesn't mean don't worry about the speck. It means before you can remove the speck, remove the plank in your own eye. So we should also do. It is not our job to tell people like, hey, listen, you really have a speck, and now I'm going to convince you, and I'm going to, oh, this person's just so ignorant, so I'm going to make sure that he knows. It's not your job to do that. It's God's job. Our job is to relay the message and to look inwardly. That means be respectful to people that you may not agree with. When you're looking at people in authority, you're like, oh, that person has such a pride problem. Guess what? It's not your job to humble that person. They will be accountable before God. Here's the reason why we feel like we have to slander gossip about people that are in charge but have an ego problem. Because we feel like nothing will be done unless you say something. We feel like unless we talk bad about people in authority, they're going to just keep on doing what they're doing and they're going to get away with it. The fact of, the fact of the matter is they're going to have to answer before God. And if they're an authority figure, here's what the Bible says. Check this out. Romans chapter 13, verse 1. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now, he's not just talking about the church. He's talking about authorities in general. Therefore, who, whoever resists the authority resist the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. That does not mean that you submit to authority no matter what. You submit to the higher authority, but that means you speak the truth in love. You're taking the model of Daniel, and you're saying, hey, listen, like, I'm just telling you, this is what God's saying, and you leave it at that. And you're submitting yourself, even if the authority is corrupt, they don't get it, they're full of themselves, being respectful, being loving, because that's exactly what God wants you to do. He even says in Colossians, we went over this earlier this year. Slaves, bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Those of you that are servants, do to your masters, serve your masters as if Jesus himself were asking you to do it. And do it with all of your heart. Not complaining, I don't know why we're doing this. Why are we asking, I just don't get it, I don't believe in it. You're doing it as if God himself asked you to do it. And you're, you're expecting to receive the reward from the Lord, not from man. Okay. So we need to look inward. And here's some ways to do that. Here's how to humble yourself. I'll give you three ways, and they're really short, just really practical tips, and we'll be done. How to humble yourself. Um, first of all, James chapter 4 says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Do you know the Bible never says to pray for humility? The Bible never says you should pray to be humble, because the Bible gives us ways that we can humble ourselves. Expect you to be humble. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong to say, like, Lord, I just pray that I, I, you give me humility, whatever. Like, that's fine. I just want to let you know, like, the Bible expects you to be a good steward of, of humility. It's not like one day you're going to wake up and be like, wow, I'm not thinking of myself anymore. The Bible expects you to deny yourself, which is a, a, an action that you have to take. Practical steps. So number one, here's how to do it. Look in the Word of God. Look in the Word of God. James chapter 1 talks about how the law of the Lord is like a mirror. And the person who hears the word and doesn't do it is like the person who looks in the mirror and is like, oh, wow, there's a lot of gross things on my face. Oh, well, and he walks away and forgets about it. 
But he who looks into the mirror, looks into the word of God, and does what it says, actually washes his face. That's a paraphrase, but that's what it means. Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, By the law is the knowledge of sin. If you want to know how to humble yourself, just look at the word, and the word will convict you, show you the things that you need to change in yourself. It's going to be, attend Bible studies, where you're going to hear messages like this, where you, you don't want to hear it. Like, who else is going to tell you this, right? Unless we actually go through the word of God systematically and see it right there in the page. Ouch, that's something I need to work on. And if you don't, guess what? Your growth is going to be stunted. As mine was for a long time because I have a lot of pride. Number two, remember that everything we have is a gift from God. Remember that everything we have is a gift from God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. says, who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? None of us can boast as if we got here by our own bootstraps and we were so talented and, and like, no, God has given you first the capacity to build on your talent. And number two, he's given you everything. Can you ever look at any aspect of your life and say, this is something I have done? Pat on the back, yep. This is something I have gained for myself. God has given you breath, he's given you life, and we ought to give him thanks. If you ought to respect your parents, all of us would agree with that. Whether you actually do or not is between you and your parents. But all of us would agree that your parents deserve respect because they brought you into this world. They fed you when you were a baby. They clothed you. They, they washed you when you were a baby. They, they did all these things when you were a crying baby that you would have died if they didn't help you. They saved your life. You owe respect to your parents. How much more the God of the universe who's given us not only everything we have, but our parents included in that. So our reaction should be thankfulness and the desire to be a good steward. Unlike King Herod, Acts chapter 12, he's looking at his kingdom, and then all of the, the people that, that were there in front of him were saying, the voice of a God and not of a man. And he just didn't say anything. And then he was struck down dead because he did not give glory to God. You look at the celebrities of this day, and it's like dangerous. I remember watching the... Um, press releases for, uh, press conferences, I should say, for McGregor versus Mayweather, that fight. And I watch it, and like, I know you guys probably don't watch boxing, but two boxers, or one of them was an MMA fighter, the other one was a, arguably the best boxer of our time, who's never lost. And so, so this boxer, Floyd Mayweather, just, it, it was interesting, because you're watching it, and you're like, which one of them is going to lose because they have so much pride? You know, Floyd Mayweather says, the only thing that God made perfect was my boxing record. I was like, oh no. It's like, protect him. He's going to get struck by lightning, you know. It's just like crazy. It's just so full of themselves. That is the attitude that God rejects. Now, God's merciful, right? He's not going to zap him with lightning. But I think there's something to be said about God's mercy is goodness. If anything, Mayweather should look at his talents and give, give the glory to God who's given him that ability. Same thing for Kanye, Jay-Z, all these different guys that are assuming the role of God as if they did these things by their own accomplishments, but they did not. Lastly, the last practical tip to humble yourself is gain a fresh vision of God. Here's what I'm going to say. I think this is probably, if you, if you miss out on anything on the message, do this one thing. Aim to get a fresh look at God. Because when you do, it automatically humbles you. 
Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah saw the Lord, and he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwelt in the midst of, an, of, of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When you're in the presence of God, you can't take credit for anything. You're just like in awe of his beauty and his glory, and you just want to be like him. And the good news is he gives you the ability to do that. So in conclusion, you have two options. Humble or be humbled. Humble yourself. Take the rebuke. Take the correction from others and from the Lord directly. And actually take those practical steps to be others-minded. Or God himself will find a way to resist the proud, to humble you. What was the sin of Satan? It was pride. And pride is that dangerous. And that's why we have to talk about it. Andrew Murray said, Pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. So just to close, I want to see, like, really cool things happen this fall. I want to see people get saved. I don't know if you do. Like, I want you to invite people to youth group, and we'll do, like, we'll preach the gospel. That's what we do, right? We'll introduce some people. We want to see people's lives transformed. And this is the best time to do it. People don't know what the Bible says. They don't. It's, it's like... Back in the day, you would preach the gospel to people and they'd have all these arguments. People don't have any opinions about it. They're just like, oh, who's Jesus? Oh, what does the Bible say? They have no idea. I know because I talk to these people. So it's an exciting time. The Bible says that the harvest is plentiful, the labors are few. I want to see people go to the harvest, bring people to church, or just go out there and see people transform, go evangelizing, and go on mission trips, and just exciting things. It's just everyday life. I want to see people's hearts transformed, uh, families brought together again, just healing and all that stuff. But in order to do that, we need to humble ourselves. We need to ask for the Lord to forgive us of our sin so that he can fill us with his spirit. It's been said before, but oftentimes God is not able to fill us because we're already full of ourselves. And may it not be true with us. That's my prayer. Let's pray.